Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, we are live this morning for our scripture time of prayer and reflection. Welcome, brothers and sisters. I'm pro-life leader Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life, proudly one of the largest pro-life organizations in the world, certainly the largest ministry in the Catholic Church that is focused on one thing, ending abortion. You know that. So many of you are involved in that. We praise God for that, and we praise God for you. So we want to pray for all of you, all of us together today. So feel free to leave your, I see your comments here right in front of me, and feel free to leave your prayer intentions in those comments if you wish. We'll pray for each other either way, prayers that are expressed, prayers that remain in our hearts. I want to share with you from today's first reading and gospel and uh, get into a, uh, an important consideration of a gift that is asked by Solomon from God, gift that he came to be known for, and that same gift that needs to be asked of God by every public official, by every person who seeks public office, by every religious leader, by every leader, period, and indeed from all of us. We'll get into all that as we reflect on these uh, scriptures. I've been uh, traveling this past week, most of the week. I was in Washington, D.C., and Maryland, and then up to New York, uh, hopefully you're all following me on different social media platforms. I'm at FR Frank Pavone on all those platforms. And uh, you may have seen the special video I did with, uh, with my mom the other day and uh, telling some funny stories. I'll be traveling again uh, starting early tomorrow morning up to D.C. We'll have our pro-life leaders meeting. We bring together the national leaders who know the wisdom of networking with one another and uh, not, not, not falling into the go-it-alone heresy, you know, oh, we're self-sufficient, we can do it all ourselves. No, if we're smart in leading this movement, we know that we need one another and we get together, therefore, with each other and plan. So that'll be happening tomorrow and into Tuesday and then Wednesday I'll come back here to headquarters. But each day we'll be doing these uh, scriptures. Today I'm pre-taping a couple of them for... Uh, these next couple of days when I'll be traveling. So let's go into prayer and into today's word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, <clears throat> and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we come into your presence with joy. We come into your presence with repentance. Forgive us for all that we have done or failed to do, whether in thought, word, or deed, to obey your law, to love one another, to advance your kingdom. Any way that we have failed in this, Lord God, we deeply repent of. If we have failed in ways that we don't even know, we ask you to enlighten us because that is one of the things your Spirit does as that Spirit comes and abides with us. But with the revelation of sin also comes the confidence in your mercy. So we go forward rejoicing that not only you for, for, do you forgive us, you transform us, you make us new creations in Christ. We, we embrace that gift once again today, and we ask you now for a deeper understanding of your word that we may live it more faithfully and proclaim it more boldly through Christ our Lord. Amen. Yes, proclaiming it more boldly. You know, I worked under John Paul II in, uh, in Rome, and 
of course, one of the greatest joys he had was to go together with the young people at these World Youth Day gatherings, and we'll see that happening uh, this week. And really, a really, really off-base comment was made by uh, the uh, archbishop there who's overseeing this year's World Youth Day and is going to be made a cardinal at the end of uh, September. It goes to show now uh, what uh, little that might mean in some cases. Oh, we're not here to, you know, convert these young people to Christ or anything like that. Oh, yes, we are. You might not have that as a passion burning in your heart, but St. Paul said, Woe to me if I do not proclaim the gospel. And John Paul II said the same thing. Woe to us if we do not proclaim the gospel. Woe to us if we want anything less than for every human being to discover the full riches of Jesus Christ. Why would we not want them to if we believe what we believe about Christ? It's just a, a sickeningly stupid statement to make that we don't want to convert these young people to Christ. I don't know what that guy um, is doing day to day. You know, when he dresses up in his, his clerical attire, like what, like what purpose does he even have in mind for what? I don't even know why he gets up in the morning. Stay in bed, have breakfast in bed and just stay with your I don't want to proclaim Christ. I, these people are just... Okay, let's go into... Um, this is the first reading from the book, first book of Kings. The Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, ask something of me and I will give it to you. Solomon answered, O Lord my God, you have made me your servant king to succeed my father David. But I am a mere youth, not knowing at all how to act. I serve you in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a people so vast that it cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding heart to judge your people and to distinguish right from wrong. For who is able to govern this vast people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon made this request. So God said to him, Because you have asked for this, not for a long life for yourself, nor for riches, nor for the life of your enemies, but for understanding, so that you may know what is right, I do as you requested. I give you a heart so wise and understanding that there has never been anyone like you up to now, and after you where there will come no one to equal you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. More than anything else, he wanted the gift of wisdom and understanding. Let's read the gospel passage that builds on this. From the gospel of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said to his disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field, which a person finds and hides again, and out of joy goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he finds a pearl of great price, he goes and sells all that he has and buys it. Where your treasure is, there will your heart also be, Jesus said. Amass for yourselves treasure in heaven, he also commanded us, using that 
parable of the man with the, the silos, you know. Oh, I have grain in store for many years to come. And God tells him, well, this very night your life will be required of you. To whom will all this piled up wealth of yours go? God is not saying there's anything wrong with the wealth. He's saying there was something wrong with his priorities. Where's our heart set? Jesus says where your treasure is. Whatever you amass, whatever you focus on gaining more of, that's what you're going to love the most. So if you focus on gaining more wealth in heaven, and, and what he means there is be holy, grow in love of God and love of one another and service and bring truth into the world and healing and reconciliation, spread the kingdom of God, do good works because these will follow you. Blessed are they who, the dead who die in the Lord, the book of Revelation says, for their good works accompany them. The Lord says at the resurrection, some will rise to the resurrection of life and be judged according to their works. Some will rise to the resurrection of judgment because their works were evil. So build up treasure in heaven. This is wisdom. This is the first thing that wisdom tells us. Jesus again says it in another place in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first, again he's talking about priorities, the kingdom of God and all these other things food and clothing and shelter and protection, will be given to you. They will be given to you. But seek first God's kingship over you. Seek first to be members of that kingdom. This is wisdom. Our priority should not be avoid persecution. Don't Make, make sure nobody ever has anything bad to say about you. How, first of all, how can you... How could you ever control it? How could that ever be an accomplishment? That depends on what somebody else is going to say. Be free. Nobody, none of us is ever responsible for controlling. Now, we can set up conditions to make these things more or less likely. But none of us ultimately is responsible for controlling what another person is going to feel or think or say. In particular, in response to our actions. People who say, oh, I, I got to make sure nobody ever gets offended. I got to make sure nobody ever gets angry. First of all, there's no commandment about that. And secondly, it's not possible to do even if there were, which is why there isn't, because God doesn't command the impossible. You understand what I'm saying? When somebody is going to receive a message from you, a word, an action, or an omission, why didn't you return that email? Why didn't you receive, return that phone call? How they're going to interpret it is beyond our control. So, so, so somebody, we're, we're going to go out on the street and exercise our First Amendment rights. I was doing this the other day, going out on the streets, protesting abortion, holding the signs that show what an abortion is. We're doing that out of love for those babies, for those moms, for those dads. And somebody else will interpret it as oppression, intimidation, hatred, hate speech. But it's not, we're not responsible for the way that another person is going to interpret something. They're responsible. So wisdom says, first of all, seek to do what is the right thing. That's, that's, that's number one. So Solomon asks for wisdom and understanding. Now we know that Solomon ended up becoming known about that. Even Jesus spoke about how the queen of Sheba, as the history of the Old Testament goes on, went to see Solomon to listen to his wisdom. And then Jesus says, you know, this generation is going to be judged on its comparative lack of response to someone who's even greater than Solomon, that is, Jesus said, me, 
And the queen of Sheba went to, to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And so many are turning their hearts from the wisdom of Jesus. Now, speaking of wisdom and Jesus, there is in the Old Testament the book of wisdom. And one of the things, you know, as you're studying and reading the scriptures, that's interesting to do is to take the book of wisdom and put it right next to the Gospel of John. Because you're going to see something. In the book of wisdom, it talks about wisdom dwelling with God and then entering into the souls of human beings and making them friends of God. In the Gospel of John, we read that the Word was in God's presence from all eternity. Now, Word and wisdom, very closely related concepts. The Word was with God from the beginning. And then the Word came to us, became flesh, and gave us the power to become children of God. It, it's, it's, like the, the taking, it, it's like it takes that passage from the Book of Wisdom and Christifies it, if you will. It, it shows that Jesus is the fulfillment of that passage, just like he's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament passages, and shows that he himself is wisdom. This is who, who Jesus is. He is wisdom incarnate. So if Solomon, you know, one of the ways you can look at this uh, passage here from 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon, in asking for wisdom, is asking for Christ. Lord, he says, I want to distinguish right from wrong. It's like he's going right back to the Garden of Eden. God put Adam and Eve there and he gave them certain instructions. Of course, they violated terribly one of those instructions, and that got us all into the mess of original sin. God told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now Solomon is asking to, for the ability to discern good from evil. Here's the difference. Adam and Eve reached out their hand to the tree to grab a knowledge of good and evil. That is, to think that they were its arbiters. They're going to write their own commands. What's good for me, what, what, what I believe, I believe, my truth, my, my you know, preferences, I, 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 what's right for me is what I choose, and it's all up to my choice, pro-choice. The difference here is that Solomon asked God for wisdom, asked God to disseminate to him the discernment of what is good and what is evil. Asked him for the gift. It's not something you grab. It's not something you claim on your own authority. And you're not the one who decides the difference between good and evil. You ask it of God so that he reveals it to you and you're able then to live it, to embrace it and to live it. God was pleased that by this. You've asked for the right thing. I'm going to give it to you in abundance. Now, I want to bring out one other dimension of this. Solomon is, I mean, this would go far enough and be enough of a lesson for us if Solomon were anybody. You know, Lord, what do you, uh, what can I ask of you? I'm going to ask for wisdom. And, and this would have been a, a lesson enough 
to know that that's the priority thing we have to ask for. And in fact, that in asking for wisdom, we're asking for Christ. We are, by the way, asking for gifts of the Holy Spirit because Isaiah, for example, prophesies that God will send down His Spirit, a spirit of wisdom and understanding. Those are two gifts. Usually when you start distinguishing these different gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's, there's others too, knowledge, piety, fear of the Lord. But wisdom means you look at everything from God's perspective, understanding the things that God has said, you come to know their meaning more deeply. Okay, and, and there's other distinctions among the various gifts. Knowledge, the gift of knowledge deals with creation. You look at, a, a, starting with human life, you look at human life and you have the knowledge to, to realize what this means and how holy it is. Okay, so you can distinguish the different gifts of the Spirit. But ultimately, Samuel, Solomon, he's asking for Christ, and therefore he's asking for the Spirit of Christ, which is why the gifts of the Holy Spirit include wisdom and understanding. But I want to draw out this point. It wasn't that Solomon was simply a person asking God for wisdom. He was the king. And this brings a whole other dimension of meaning to this passage. He was the king. And he said, Lord, I need to be able to distinguish right from wrong, not only so that I can choose what is right and reject what is wrong, but so that I can govern your people. Ah, here now we come into the world of politics. And see people say, oh, religion has nothing to do with politics. It's just all over the place. It's on every page of scripture. Give me wisdom that I may govern your people. Because unless I know what is right and wrong, maybe the fact that I have power over your people will lead me to exploit them. Maybe unless I have wisdom discerning right from wrong, I'll confuse what's good for the people. I'll confuse that with what I want. Or what enriches my life or what strokes my ego, instead of the purpose of governance, the good of the people. That authority, let me, Lord, who am king, Solomon is saying in other words, understand that authority doesn't mean oppression. Authority means service. Help me to understand the power I have. That's where it starts. Understand the very nature of the power you have. You know, when we're looking at candidates who are asking for our vote, we have to ask them, what do you think I'm giving you when I give you my vote? What do you think I'm giving you? What kind of power are you asking for? Because if you think that you're asking for a veto power over my freedom, you can go take a hike. You're not, I'm not giving you any power over my freedom. That's why we have to be very careful with our vote. What do they think they're going to use that power for? To squelch our freedom? To, to turn things to their own advantage? Oh, no. Authority is service. You're serving the sons and daughters of the, of the king of kings. You're serving the sons and daughters of God. You want to go into public service. What do you think it means? What kind of authority do you think you have over human rights? What kind of authority do you think you have over the right to life? This is where when we start talking about abortion and politics, one of the key points that I have always made over these 30 years of, of being a, a national pro-life leader full-time, I've said, look, the first point here is that government 
doesn't even have the authority to legalize abortion. Oh, they went ahead and did it, and now that's changing little by little. But the question is, you know, do you even have the authority to start drawing lines between which human beings will be protected and which won't, which human beings are be considered persons and which aren't? You have no authority to even pick up a pen to start to draw that line or to pick up the paper on which you want to draw it. You can't do it. There's no, there's no such thing as authorizing the killing of a baby. Oh, the government shouldn't get involved in abortion. What are you talking about? That's precisely the problem with abortion. That the government got too involved, thought too highly of itself. That those on the Supreme Court at the time of Roe v. Wade, that those in many courts right now, that those one in the White House right now, that the Democrat Party, they don't have wisdom. The wisdom uh, 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 Solomon asked for, the wisdom of Jesus Christ, the wisdom to discern right from wrong, the wisdom which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, they don't have it. Why don't they have it? Well, what's the sign that they don't have it? My goodness, it's like, who gave you the idea that you could authorize the killing of a baby? You following me here? We got to step back. I mean, you know, the whole battle over abortion, in which we have to get more involved, not less, is very often beyond the, this starting point. The starting point here is, what, what do we even think we're doing when we pass a court decision that says abortion's okay? Or, or in Ohio now, I'm going to say a little bit about Ohio before we finish today and when we go back to prayer, uh, because we're launching a special novena tomorrow. Where do these people come off thinking that, that they can amend the Constitution to, to insert abortion. But the drafters of the Constitution of Ohio, the drafters of the Constitution of every single one of our 50 states, the drafters of our federal Constitution, did not have abortion anywhere in mind when they wrote those documents. There's absolutely no evidence whatsoever. That's one of the reasons that the Dobbs decision was decided the way it was decided. They looked at the whole history of the United States. They looked at court decisions and state laws and state court decisions and federal laws and scholarly articles and they said, look, we don't find anywhere in the whole history of the country any kind of an assertion of a right to abortion. Why? Because those who were governing had the wisdom, as Solomon is asking for here, to discern, to distinguish right from wrong so that I could govern your people. Governing them starts with protecting them. Isn't it ridiculous how supporters of abortion will say, when they're in public office and we say to them, hey, you have to protect the unborn, you have to be pro-life, and they come back to us and they say, oh, well, I have to govern all the people. I have to govern all the people. That's what we're trying to say to you. I have to govern all the people. What are you talking about? You're the one who's missing the point of governing all the people because you're excluding in the whole segment of people the ones in the womb. Wake up! I have to govern all the people. What about them? When does governance start with 
protection. Isn't that where it starts? When are you going to start? When are you going to realize governing starts with protecting? You can't govern a people that you're killing. I don't know, friends, but this... Listen, we're not the crazy ones. This sounds so simple that we scratch our heads and say, am I the one missing something? No, you're not. They're the ones missing something very basic. They're the ones missing something very fundamental. They're the ones missing something very simple. You govern. You don't kill. You govern. You don't veto human rights. So nowadays, and I want to make a quick reference here to a document. You can find it on our website. Um, Our main website, you know, is endabortion.us. It was issued actually some time ago. It was issued in 2002 by the Vatican, uh, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, very important office over there for the Catholic Church. And and what they said was they they issued this this document for, for Catholic politicians. And the document wasn't very long, but here's the main point that it made. And because it, it, it connects right re- along with this reading. Solomon says, Lord, give me wisdom so that I can govern the people, knowing the difference between right and wrong. And what this document from the Vatican said was, you know, today there are too many people in public life who think you can't know the difference between right and wrong. And so they'll say, well, I'm just, when I'm, I'm governor, president, senator, representative, whatever I am, I'm just sort of, sort of like a referee. I have to let everybody believe what they want to believe about what's right and what's wrong, and I'll just sort of be a referee to make sure that, you know, we, we maintain peace and order. No, that's not your role. Yes, people have freedom of, of philosophical beliefs. Of course, people have freedom of religion. Yes, we know that there is true religion and there is false doctrine. But we don't expect that to be resolved by law. We expect that to be resolved by preaching and persuasion and witness, witness of holy lives that will draw people to embrace what is true and what is right. But you got to have, you're in public office A basic understanding of what's good for the human person and what isn't. You've got to have a respect. Like one of you is saying there, it's never anyone's right to kill. You have to know, like Solomon says, I've got to know good from evil if I'm going to govern the people at all. So you've got to know certain basic moral truths that can admit of no exception. That's the point. that, that, That doesn't contradict the freedom of people to have their own beliefs, the freedom of religion. But, you know, that freedom has certain limits if you're going to have a functioning society. And, for example, you know, stealing, you know, somebody might have a philosophical or even religious belief that they can go ahead and steal anything that anybody else possesses. But the law is going to stop in, step in and say, you might believe what you're going to believe. I'm not going to enter into your heart and mind and soul or, or dictate to you your philosophy. But you can't take anybody else's possessions. You can't go walking into your neighbor's house and start taking the, 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 you know, the furniture. You can't steal your neighbor's car. You can't rob a bank. You, you believe what you want, but you're not going to be permitted in this society to do that. And so the one who's governing has to have that understanding of right and wrong enough to enforce basic moral 
truths. The point of the document was saying, don't be a moral agnostic. Don't have this, this philosophy that, oh, we really can't know what is right and what is wrong. We just basically got to keep everybody, you know, living together in peace. The problem is, if you forget the difference between right and wrong, there's going to be no peace. There's going to be no peace. There can be peace and order only when everyone in society adheres to certain basic moral standards that go beyond the will of the people, that go beyond democratic votes and choices in election, majority rule. There's basic truths written into human nature, and we can know what they are. That was the key point there. Now, final point. If the king asks for this wisdom to discern right from wrong to govern the people, in a form of government like we have here in America, by which we govern ourselves, we the people have the sovereignty in America, well then this prayer needs to be ours so that we can have the wisdom indeed to govern the people. We can have the wisdom to govern ourselves. Because we govern ourselves, because we have the sovereignty here in America, well then every responsibility in the scriptures that is placed on the shoulders of kings is on our shoulders. And we've got to take that responsibility seriously and we've got to pray intensely that we will have that wisdom. So let's do that now and let's pray for wisdom for the people of Ohio because, let me just summarize this and you'll hear uh, a lot more about this in this, this, this week. Because what we're going to want to do starting tomorrow is that with each of our scripture lessons, once we finish the, the usual uh, reflection, we're going to go into a special uh, uh, time of prayer for Ohio. And I have a special prayer you might want to look up today over at prayercampaign.org. I wrote a special prayer. Because on August 8th, there will be a special election to change how, to change what is required to modify the Ohio Constitution. In other words, right now it can be modified by just 50% of the vote plus one. The um, proposal that pe people in Ohio are voting on already, because early voting began a couple of weeks ago, but the vote that will conclude on August 8th is whether to make it harder to amend the Constitution by raising that requirement to 60%. Now, the reason that's a good thing, first of all, it's a good thing in and of itself because the Constitution, that's your, that's your foundational document. You, you know, it, it should require a greater consensus among the people than just half plus one because it becomes then the basis for all other laws. But the um, second reason is in November, the pro-abortion people want to have a vote to amend the Constitution to recognize unlimited abortion as a, quote, right and it, we can't allow them to do that. We don't think they can get 60% of the vote for that. They might be able to get 50 plus 1. So this is a very important preliminary vote. It's not the whole battle. The battle will be in November, and um, let's make sure we put a big hurdle. In other words, we're putting a big hurdle in the way of the pro-abortion people. So we pray for wisdom, wisdom for the uh, voters of Ohio. Let us all pray. Father, we... Uh, Thank you for this teaching from your word about wisdom, about the need to have it, to, just, to, to, to distinguish rightly between good and evil. We pray this wisdom for all our elected officials. We pray this wisdom for all candidates for public office. 
We pray this wisdom, Lord God, now and always. We pray this wisdom for we the people, because sovereignty rests on our shoulders, and therefore the responsibility Scripture gives to sovereigns is our responsibility. May we have wisdom. May we distinguish what is right and wrong. May we know the sanctity of life. May we see things from your perspective. May we uphold the natural law, the moral law, the law that is beyond all changing and that has already been established by you. Our founders recognized it. Our founders asserted that the laws of God supersede those made by men. May we have that wisdom today in America and throughout the world. Bless the people of Ohio. Lord, give success to the effort to raise the threshold for amending Ohio's Constitution so that the pro-abortion people may not so easily be able to take such a destructive step as to impose a fake right to abortion, unlimited abortion, in the November election. Give us all success, Lord God, in all that we do. And now we raise up to you all the intentions that have been mentioned today, all those that we hold in our hearts, and we pray in the words Jesus gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray to our Heavenly Mother, who, as one of you mentioned in the comments, is the seat of wisdom, because she's the one that brought us Christ. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, have a blessed Lord's Day today, a blessed Sunday time with family, and time for rest, and prayer, and celebration, and hopefully good, some good meals, and and be refreshed, be reinvigorated. Let's have a great week. Looking forward to being with you on these different broadcasts. Be assured of my prayers. Thanks for all you do. God bless. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.